ILCA is, today, the world's leading and most important multidisciplinary society tackling liver cancer. ILCA. Hi there, I'm Dr. Richard Finn from the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, where I'm a medical oncologist, uh, and I'd like to welcome you to this ILCA podcast covering phase three data from the ESMO uh, virtual meeting in 2021, as well as the ASCO GI meeting in 2022. And I'm joined today by Dr. Mark Yarshwin, a assistant professor in medical oncology at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. And we'll be covering a few of the phase three uh, abstracts that came out of these meetings. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Mark. And thanks so much for having me. So, you know, being in the liver cancer space now for 20 years, it's been remarkable to see how things were very slow to change, and then how rapidly things have changed in the past several years. Uh, and we've been waiting for several phase three studies to read out, uh, and there are still some pending. Uh, specifically, we're still waiting for the Ipinevo data versus TKI, as well as the Lenpembro data versus Lenvantinib alone. But in the past few months, we've seen two very important studies read out. Uh, one from Katie Kelly presented at the ESMO meeting, the Cosmic data, as well as from ASCO-GI presented by Kassan Abu Alpha, the Himalaya study. So this is all in the context of the new benchmark, I think, for frontline, which would be considered a Tezobev based on the Embrave 150 data. So Mark, let's start with COSMIC, given that was the first to be presented. Can you give us a, an overview of the study design and major findings? All right. Thank you so much for that question. Um, you know, a, as you probably know, the COSMIC 312 study was a randomized study of uh, cabozantinib plus atezolizumab versus cabo as a monotherapy versus the standard of care arm of uh, serafinib alone. The study had primary endpoints of PFS and OS. The study was stopped because it hit its PFS endpoint, showing a, a prolongation of PFS for the combination of cabo and atezo versus serafinib. However, uh, overall survival, at least at this initial uh, time point, appeared to be largely overlapping uh, with the curves that were produced for um, cabotezo versus serafinib. So uh, this is a, a technically positive study because it met its primary endpoint, although I think the overall survival produced thus far is somewhat underwhelming. Happy to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, this was a eagerly awaited study testing this idea of a VEGF multi-kinase inhibitor uh, CABO hits not only the VEGF receptor, but CMET and Axel. And there's been a fair amount of preclinical data suggesting that modifying these targets and their activity may increase sensitivity to, to PD-1 or pd one inhibitors. And, and I think there is data in GU malignancies that has validated that approach. And, and obviously, the Len-Pembro phase 1b study looks very provocative as well. And and so this study launched really without a large experience, I think, with Cabo Atezo. And, you know, it did meet one of its primary endpoints. The hazard ratio for PFS was 0.63. Uh, and we saw that PFS went from 4.2 months to 6.8 months. However, as you commented, at the time of the analysis of PFS, we did not reach any difference in OS. It was not mature, but actually in a press release just recently, it was stated that there will be no improvement in overall survival. And, you know, let's talk about that point real quick. I mean, is P 
PFS not a valid endpoint for a phase three study in liver cancer at this point? Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it is somewhat striking that there appears to be this disconnect between the PFS and OS uh, endpoints in the study. And, you know, in many other studies, we see that PFS and OS it, it tend to go in the same direction in HCC, but not all the time. And, you know, I'm reminded of the Sinitinib data uh, many years ago in frontline HCC where PFS and OS actually went the opposite way. So I'm not quite sure what to make about that. Um, you know, one possibility is that there was more toxicity with cabotezo that hurt the overall survival numbers, although the toxicity data um, thus far doesn't really support that hypothesis. The time on drug looked pretty good. The withdrawal due to toxicity uh, looked pretty good. You know, the other question is, is it just harder to show overall survival in a, in a post-Bevitezo era because of the possibility of crossover from serafinib to other modern uh, doublet regimens? And, and that's certainly a hypothesis. And I think when we see the full data, you know, there may be attempts to correct for crossover that could be informative. But overall, you know, I think if this study had come out a couple of years ago, I think it would be more exciting than it is today when we have other therapies that have clearly shown OS benefit over serafinib. And, and candidly, I think those other regimens should be the preferred uh, therapy options for the majority of patients. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting to note and what play the study population contributed to the findings. You know, they had a fair uh, number of patients who are Barcelona stage B in the over 30% in each arm, which is much higher than we typically see in phase three studies of advanced liver cancer. We know their natural history will be longer. Uh, in addition, they had a relatively low population of hepatitis B patients, only about 30% in each arm or hepatitis B, which is lower than what we've typically seen in other phase three studies. And, and one comment that I think is interesting to note is the objective response rate with this combination was only 11%. Given it was higher than the objective response seen with serafinib, which performed as typical, 3.7%. But Mark, how do you reconcile the response rate? which seems to be lower than what we've seen with single-agent PD-1 inhibitors. Yeah, you know, these cross-study comparisons are really challenging. I mean, I think most PD-1 or PD-L1 studies have shown response rates in a range of sort of 14 to 17%. So just looking at the response rate for cabotezo, it's certainly underwhelming and, and raises the question of, you know, even does cabo somehow impair PD-L1 responses? But I think this may reflect more the study population, because as you mentioned, the response rate of serafinib was in a range of 3%, a single digit. And that certainly looks worse than, for example, the I'm Brave 150 study, where the response rate was, I think, 11.3% or 11% or so. So, you know, again, I think cross-trial comparisons are, are challenging. The low response rate with cabotezo may just be because of stage migration, more child pew B patients, taste lesions sometimes don't show the same response rates by, you know, resist 1.1. You mean Barcelona B, Barcelona B, not child PB. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Did I say child PB? Apologies. Yeah, Barcelona B. So more taste lesions. I think we just don't yeah, know. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to wait to see further data. That There was also a press release uh, that raises the question whether the, the regimen will even be filed for FDA approval. And that, that just came out in the past week. The other study that we saw that was also eagerly awaiting was the first phase three data in liver cancer of dual IO, and that's the Himalaya study. 
Uh, you want to run through the overview of that study design? Yes, absolutely. This was a three-arm study, Dervalumab, which is a pdl one inhibitor, plus Tremolumab, which is an anti-CTLA-4 agent, versus Dervalumab as a monotherapy, so pdl one alone control arm, versus the serafinib control arm. And this was set up with a sort of multiple uh, statistical analysis plan where the first question was whether there was um, superior overall survival to the combination of Dervalumab plus Tremolumab, but also had a comparison of Derva versus Serafinib, which was a non-inferiority analysis. And overall, you know, the main takeaway is that the combination of Derva plus Tremi did hit its primary endpoint of showing overall survival benefit uh, over the Serafinib control. And Dervalumab alone performed similarly to Serafinib and met its non-inferiority endpoint. So, you know, those are the big takeaways. I think even though Dervatremi was superior to serafinib, and this is a clearly positive study, it's natural to, to do some initial cross-trial comparisons. And the median overall survival was a little bit lower than what was seen with uh, IBRAE 150, so 16.4 months versus 19.2 months, I believe. Um, PFS actually appeared uh, similar to serafinib, so uh, there was no prolongation of PFS. And the response rate of 20%, again, looked a little bit lower than what we've seen with the iBrave data. Again, these are two different studies, different study populations. So these cross-trial comparisons are obviously fraught. I think that there clearly is a role for Derva Tremi in the frontline setting, especially in patients who may not tolerate VEGF-targeted agents. I think the other thing that was impressive with this data was actually some flattening of the curve as you look out towards three years, because there's three-year follow-up data for some of these patients. Uh, where the survival at three years was really in a range of, of 30%, which is impressive. We don't have the same duration of follow-up with Atezobev, but I think it's just amazing that we're talking about three-year survival in an HCC population, and, and that really shows the progress we've made. For sure, for sure. And this study, I think, highlights in the context of COSMIC as well, the the challenges with the future of clinical trial design. You know, COSMIC, we hit PFS, but not OS. In this study with a dual I.O., there's no PFS benefit, but most importantly, arguably the most important endpoint is OS. But moving forward in frontline studies, median survival is being pushed out and and it will take longer if we keep OS as the primary endpoint in frontline studies. I mean, this study, as you mentioned, actually had a Dervalumab alone arm, right? And this demonstrated non-inferiority to serafinib. And, And we were all somewhat disappointed by the results of Checkpoint 459, which showed that nivolumab was not superior to serafinib. However, the data did look like, had it been a non-inferiority study, nivolumab likely would have reached that benchmark, uh, given that the upper limit of the hazard ratio was less than 1.08, which is what we've seen in this study with single-agent dervalumab. And while the study was not powered to compare the, the Dervatremi arm to the single-agent Dervalumab arm. It's very provocative to note that the response rate was 17% with Derva alone versus 20% uh, with the combination. And survival between the two arms was both in the 16-month range. Yet, when you look at side effects, really, there's almost a doubling of immune-related adverse events with the combination. You know, 
Mark, you've done a lot of work in IO and the scientific side. I mean, are you convinced that that one dose of Tremi makes a difference for patients? I think it's you can't conclude that from the data, but uh, what I would say is that we now have two studies where PD-1 or PDL one fails to show superiority to serafinib, and the combination of Dervatremi did. If you look at the survival curves, there does appear to be some separation of the curves very far out when you go out a range of years, which, you know, I think is probably real because it, it reflects what we've seen with uh, CTLA-4 in many studies and many tumor types that um, really it's the durability of the response that's quite unique with CTLA-4 and CD4 targeting in, in general. So, you know, I, I do believe that um, Tremi is probably adding something, although, you know, I agree the response rate at 20% versus 17% with Derva alone is, is really hard to be that excited about. I think naturally, it's interesting to kind of look at the uh, IPI-NEVO data. Granted, this is second-line data. It's a smaller study. But you know what I think is fairly clear from the data is that IPI-NEVO, particularly the IPI-3-NEVO-1 dosing, which is now in a frontline study versus serafinib, it does appear that that combination may be more effective, but also more toxic than Dervatremi. You know, when we look at Ipinevo, 53% of patients um, were experiencing severe treatment-related adverse events, clearly higher than what's seen with Dervatremi, but the response rate of that doublet is over 30% versus 20% for Dervatremi. So it's possible we'll have multiple CTLA-4 PD-1 options in frontline with different efficacy and toxicity, you know, data. So... You know, Mark, you, you made a comment before, which I think is is telling, uh, given that we're now going to have phase three frontline data with IO that is not a VEGFR-containing regimen. There are patients who likely cannot receive a Tezobev as their frontline option. Uh, historically, and as it stands today, most of these patients will get single-agent TKIs. But it raises the question of, is there still a role for single-agent IO. Uh, and in this case, it would be in the second-line setting because they got TKI frontline. Pembrolizumab still has accelerated approval based on Keno 224, which showed a durable response rate of about 18% uh, with a manageable safety profile. ODAC met last year and reviewed the pivotal Phase 3 Keynote 240 data, which showed a uh, hazard ratio of 0.78, uh, an improvement in survival of 10.6 to about 14 months with Pembro versus placebo in the second line after prior serafinib. But the p-value is 0.0238, and for statistical significance, it had to be 0.0174. ODAC decided to leave Pembro's accelerated approval because there were ongoing confirmatory studies. One of them we saw at ASCO-GI, the Keynote 394 study, which was done in Asia, and it was a very similar design of Pembro versus placebo in the second-line setting. And here, we saw a very similar result. The hazard ratio was 0.79. P-value was 0.018, which in this study met the pre-specified criteria for statistical significance being less than 0.019. The absolute magnitude was not as great as we saw in the 240 study, this is 13 months versus 14.6 months. But we did see that the study met its statistical endpoint for PFS and also improved objective response rates in this study, 13%. And those responses were very durable with a median duration of response of 24 months. 
and there were no new adverse events. So I think uh, based on this data, we'll have to wait and see if the FDA then gives pembrolizumab full approval, because now we have two phase three studies that look fairly comparable and show some survival benefit. And this would be obviously for patients who don't get IO in the frontline setting. Now, Mark, the last study uh, we wanted to cover today uh, was also presented at ASCO and switching gears a little bit. Really an exciting study because the first positive phase three study in biliary malignancies since GEMSYS. Uh, you want to review the Topaz-1 study for us? Happy to. Very briefly, Topaz-1 was a study of biliary tract cancer, so it included both intrahepatic, extrahepatic, and gallbladder cancers, and patients were randomized to the combination of gemcitabine plus cisplatinum, which of course has been our standard of care for about a decade now, versus gemcitabine cisplatinum plus uh, dervalumab. And, uh, the primary objective was overall survival with multiple uh, sort of secondary endpoints. And, uh, you know, this was a technically positive study. Overall survival uh, was improved with the addition of dervalumab. The median OS was 12.8 months versus 11.5 months with placebo. So numerically a pretty modest prolongation of overall survival. The hazard ratio for overall survival was 0.8. And uh, secondary endpoints uh, were improved uh, as well. So the objective response rate was 26.7% for the map containing arm versus 18.7% for the arm that was GEMSYS alone, which I'll note is a sort of underperformance versus some historical trials of gemcitabine and cisplatinum. You know, I think what we eagerly await is some molecular subgroup analysis to see if there are groups that particularly benefited from the addition of uh, anti-PDL1 therapy. In the limited subgroup analysis that we have, it, it does appear to be a consistent benefit across all different groups, although, you know, a little bit more of a benefit in Asian patients and more of a benefit in patients with intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma versus the other groups. Um, interestingly, PDL1 did not seem to enrich for response at all. Exciting data set. I, I think, you know, this to me really sets the standard of care now for frontline systemic treatment for these patients. I mean, you mentioned about biomarkers and identifying patients, and certainly we've seen for FGFR2 alterations, IDH, we've seen very exciting data, at least in the second line, but in frontline, I mean, would you consider this the new standard of care? I think it, it does set a new standard of care, although I think while many patients will get this, it's hard to be that excited about it because it's really pretty modest prolongation of overall survival. Yeah, you know, that being said, Dervalumab is very well tolerated. You know, side effect profile appeared to be excellent in the study with really no major adverse events. So yes, I think this sets a standard of care. You know, I think the question is we have other frontline studies ongoing. For example, the, the triplet combination, gem, cis, plus abraxane. And so, uh, you know, I think this is a pretty low bar still in the frontline of cholangiocarcinoma. It's exciting. It's, an, it's likely to be a new standard of care. But uh, I hope that we get to the point where we're not talking about one month increases in overall survival. We'd like to see more. Yeah, obviously. And it does reflect the drought that we've had. Also in the context that we see with IO that there's always some patients who do really well. And, and I think that's what we hope for all these patients. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining me, Mark. I think this will close this podcast. I hope uh, our audience found it entertaining and hopefully useful. And uh, everybody stay well. And hopefully we will see you at the annual meeting later this year. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. This episode is sponsored by Heptama Research, an international peer-reviewed, gold-open access, continuously published online academic journal, founded by OAE Publishing, Inc. The journal aims to provide an academic exchange platform focusing on all topics of liver cancer and its related diseases through publications, video abstracts, webinars, and interviews. ILCA. ILCA is today the world's leading and most important multidisciplinary society tackling liver cancer. ILCA.